This is New England Public Radio's Jazz Beat. I'm Tom Reaney with a podcast edition of my jazz blog, which you can find at nepr.net. This edition of Jazz Beat features an interview I conducted with Lee Konitz in 2004 before concerts he was playing in New England. We're presenting the interview now as a memorial tribute to the saxophonist who died on April 15, 2020, at age 92 from effects of the coronavirus. Lee Konitz came to prominence in the late 40s as an alto saxophonist whose mature style was unique for betraying little of the influence of Charlie Parker. Early in his career, Konitz recorded with Miles Davis on The Birth of the Cool and with Lenny Tristano, Jerry Mulligan, Claude Thornhill, and Stan Kenton. He was long respected as one of the purest improvisers in modern jazz and a saxophonist who readily adapted to playing with a variety of groups across the globe. In the years since the interview was conducted, Konitz continued his collaborations with leading figures in jazz, including Brad Meldow, Bill Frisell, Joe Lovano, and Matt Wilson. Musical selections here include Charlie Parker's classic blues, Parker's Mood, and Konitz playing How About You, All the Things You Are, Lover Man, These Foolish Things, and Subconsciously. We're both sensitive to sounds. Well, uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's good and bad uh, characteristics. I, I uh, can uh, get very angry at uh, loud speaking cell phoneers, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I also enjoy a good music. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you for joining us this afternoon, and we're going to record this for the next half hour or so, and. Um, and let me begin by uh, asking you, you don't mind talking about uh, Claude Thornhill or Lester Young or Lenny Tristano? or Whatever, don't okay. prepare me. Fine. Um, let me ask you then first off about Matt Wilson, this oh. amazing drummer who you've made music with in recent years and who uh, will be working with you next week. Matt is uh, uh, one of my favorites now. We just made a duo record for Steeplechase uh, in which, uh, as a result of hearing... The first tune, which uh, he played on his gong a few times, uh, I t- entitled the album Gong with Wind, which I thought was uh, terribly clever. <laughs> I didn't get much of a reaction from you, but maybe <laughs> the audience will uh, be in an uproar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, tr- I'm trying to lay back here. I'm actually holding the recording in my hand, and I love it. Uh, I, oh. got, I got it just last week. Oh, um, great. Thank you. And, and I saw Matt... Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, up in Toronto, I heard him playing, and I think it was four different uh, contexts over oh. the course of three or four days. And he's he plays just with uh, many different people. Indeed, yeah. In fact, I heard him playing vibraphone for the first time oh. with uh, with Jane Ira Bloom. Oh, really? Yeah, in a very Asian-oriented um, uh, presentation of hers, and then heard him with Denny Zeitlin and with Dina oh. DeRose and with oh. uh, Ted Rosenthal and. Uh, so yes, Gong with the Wind, uh, that, but that's not based on the changes of Gone with the Wind, is it? No, <laughs> but it's, it's Gong, right? <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> Gong with Wind. Mm-hmm. 
thinking of uh, the next situation uh, after this trio uh, with Matt will be uh, in uh, May. Uh, we're premiering a nine-piece uh, group uh, at Birdland here in New York uh, that, um, that uh, Matt will be playing with. I'm looking forward, and then we're going to Brazil with it in May, uh, in, uh, at the end of May. Uh-huh, you'll take the nine-piece ensemble to Brazil, huh? Well, just Matt and uh, the bass player oh, I see. And, the compo- and the arranger. Uh-huh. And, and you'll work with some musicians there in Brazil? Yeah. Uh, build up the ensemble from the local stock, huh? Yeah. Very good. Mm. Very mm. fine writer, uh, Ohad Talmore. Uh, I don't know if you know my record uh, of uh, French Impressionist music with the string quartet. Uh, yes, uh, I have s- vague familiarity with it. Well, mm-hmm. he uh, orchestrated that for from mm-hmm. the piano sheets of the various composers. Mm-hmm. And a very talented writer and a fine tenor player. Mm-hmm. He's uh, taken my themes and and uh, written them up for a nine-piece group. Now, over the course of a 55-ish year-long career of yours, um, there are so many different contexts, ensembles, from solos and duos and trios to the uh, Stan Kenton Orchestra to uh, uh, nonettes of your own. Is there anything in particular that... Um, uh, where is Lee Konitz in that big uh, sort of continuum of... Um, of ensembles and instrumentations and settings? Well, I uh, tried uh, thinking in terms of being a sideman and all these uh, usually invited to situations. I try to lend a voice to the ensemble as best I can. Sometimes uh, uh, it's a different uh, kind of music than I, than I can handle, but uh, for the most part, I can travel all around and play with uh, Italian musicians, uh, local, so-called locals from different countries, and they're all highly skilled by now. And uh, I can uh, have a good play and and feel like a professional. So I'm wherever I can fit in in those kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, jazz certainly makes uh, one um, uh, lens. Uh uh, or a, a good jazz background is conducive to adaptation, I would, I would think. Well, it's essential. Uh, but uh, the implication was uh, that uh, I don't have my own uh, band and uh, playing a uh, consistent kind of uh, my own kind of music. Is that what you're asking me? Uh, no, I don't mean to imply anything, just more a, a basic statement that I'd like to uh, you know, suggest that 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 a, a a substantial background like your own um, uh, in jazz um, uh, makes it uh, easier to adapt to lots of different uh, types of settings. And uh, the thing is uh, that uh, most of these settings are uh, fairly consistent in the so-called uh, straight-ahead kind of uh, playing on tunes, themes, and variations. I don't deal in Asian music or Indian music or exotic world music. So in that sense, uh, I mean, I can play all the things you are in all these different contexts and uh, get away with it, so to speak. <laughs> Indeed. Now, I, re- I recall reading you say that um, when you uh, play Body and Soul, for instance, that you like to play it as though you've never played it before. All those familiar tunes that I've been playing over the years, that's my intention each day, to approach it from the first note. <clears throat> Someone is. Uh, writing a kind of a, 
Conversation with Me book, and I was just uh, proofreading it here, and uh, something like that uh, uh, is involved. And uh, <laughs> I just forgot what it was. So we'll let that one go for a minute. <laughs> well, I also recall reading you... Um uh, say in uh, the notes that you wrote to your recording with Brad Meldow and Charlie Hayden just a few years ago that um, that you love playing the blues as a 12-bar form, yeah, right. but, but that blues intonation or tonality is not uh, your natural vocabulary. I don't love the blues scale, as it were. I, I certainly uh, can't help but play some kind of a blues-inflected phrase, but it never sounds terribly convincing to me seems like a whole philosophy behind that kind of playing that I'm not really uh, 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 familiar with, that that familiar with. Hmm. Now, is that uh, something that you um, deliberately avoided? uh, Yeah, I just uh, didn't identify with that kind of a sound and that kind of a feeling. Uh, I try to play as uh, so-called funky as uh, possible as a result of my upbringing and my experience in life. But I, I don't have the black experience, and uh, to pretend I do uh, makes me feel like uh, most of the pop people I listen to or quite a few of the jazz people I listen to, trying to we learn from the great black players in jazz, of course. But uh, uh, then we're supposed to uh, kind of filter it through into our white experience, I guess, something like that. And the blues is part of the black experience, I think. Well, do you think that uh, then that uh, that other white players who are more drawn to blues and adept, say, at executing it are inauthentic? They sound that way to me. They do. The only huh? people that uh, really sounded, even the black players, most of them sound kind of uh, phony with that. Uh, Charlie Parker was a great musician, and the blues was a great part of his expression, and it, it uh, belonged there somehow. But most of the guys are just kind of jiving, I think. Mm-hmm. say the same about Lester Young? Uh, definitely. Do you hear the blues and Lester's playing the way yeah, you do sure. in Birds? Definitely. Mm-hmm. And how about uh, while both Bird and, and Lester are um, 
such great blues uh, uh, players. Um, I know that they both were significant uh, models for you. Um, uh, were they so more in terms of pure sound or rhythmic uh, conception? The or? whole thing, everything that they did uh, to me was uh, just pure music at, at best. And uh, especially, uh, especially identified with Lester Young. Uh, somehow, uh, I, I uh, did that as an alto player. I'm <laughs> still trying to figure out why I didn't stay with the tenor. <laughs> but uh, that, I decided that that was my voice, and uh, Lester was uh, music that I loved. Well, it's interesting that um, you gained. Um uh, renowned early on in your career for developing a, a sound that was distinct from Charlie Parker's dominant uh, style. Right. You, you played the same instrument, and yeah. um, uh, I wonder if there, if if sticking with the alto rather than tenor was also sort of natural to you. That that uh, that if you had gone with tenor, you might have ended up aping Lester's uh, style. Well, uh, since I didn't ape Charlie Parker's, uh, it's unlikely that I would have aped uh, Lester. I would have come closer with the same instrument, certainly. But I remember one time uh, at the original Birdland Club, Charlie asked to uh, borrow my alto for a set. And I sat in amazement and listened to him play that music and thinking, my God, that never came out when I played it. I don't understand how he does that. Now, did you spend some time um, uh, touring with Kenton uh, on a tour that also had Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, if I recall correctly? Yeah, after I left the band, after about a year and a half of traveling as a, in the sax section as part of the band, I, I got a call from Stan asking me to come on a tour as a soloist. And I said, great. Who else will be on it? He said, uh, Charlie Parker. <laughs> I said... <laughs> I don't think I ever found out what his intention was in doing that. But uh, the result was that uh, I was there playing music that I had played when I was in the band, and Charlie was there playing new arrangements in a new situation, and he wasn't uh, in top form uh, at that time. And so, uh, But uh, we got a chance to hang out a little bit, and I appreciate it uh, very much. Uh, being uh, able to uh, hang with them a little bit. Mm -hmm. <coughs> uh, didn't he actually compliment you on not uh, copying him the way so many others did? Quite a number of times when we met, he would kind of uh, volunteer that. Mm. And did you feel uh, complimented by that? Was that was that? Very, yeah. But I wasn't trying not to play like him. Mm -hmm. I was involved with Lenny Tristano and learning 
kind of uh, about the music through him and uh, kind of going in a direction that uh, he was uh, giving an example of uh, was intriguing to me. And so I was already pretty involved by the time I heard Charlie Parker. Oh, you were. So you already had met Lenny and were yeah. involved with him before you heard Bird. Yeah. Oh. Uh-huh. Now, do you, do you think, I mean, this is pure speculation, but do you think that Parker might have been a more um, compelling model for you if you had not had Lenny's um, guidance? Indisputably, no question about it. He was a major player, and everyone had who was interested in how to play this music had to uh, uh, go in that direction. And uh, unfortunately, uh, it meant uh, because all the material and everything he did was so... Uh, uh, compelling that you had to kind of uh, play those phrases and play that kind of sound and that kind of time feeling and really duplicate the whole thing. Uh, Lenny's influence was uh, less direct. He uh, gave examples of things and uh, all his students sounded different from one another. There were similarities, of course, uh, from being, you know, together and uh, playing together, but uh, much more different differences than in the so-called bebop influence, mm-hmm. where nobody studied directly with Charlie Parker. mentioned Matt Wilson, but are there other players? Who who are you hearing um, in the music today that uh, you think are adding something new to the to the vocabulary, or maybe pushing some new directions that um, that are interesting to you? Well, I'm enjoying Brad Meldow's trio very much. I'm enjoying uh, Keith Jarrett's trio. If he would just stop making noise, <laughs> and. Uh, I enjoyed uh, Wayne Shorter's new group. Mm. I, I uh, played uh, a concert uh, a day before his band in Hungary last year, and they sent me a, a <coughs> CD of both our concerts. And uh, I enjoyed that concert uh, more than even the record that I got of his. And uh, uh, Mark Turner is an interesting tenor player, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord, there, you know, there's a lot of young people around that uh, are doing interesting things. And, uh, you know, the music uh, will just continue to thrive. There's just too much of interest. It's, you would think that uh, everything had been done already, but that's not the case. Uh, so uh, I look forward to <clears throat> to a lot of uh, interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark Turner, uh, mentioning him, reminds me uh, that uh, he's one of the uh, uh, players who um, uh, suggest to me that there's a kind of renewed uh, 
uh, interest in, in Lenny Tristano himself. Would you agree? Well, in that case, it's, uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, that's that perspective now. Uh, uh, but uh, Mark was especially intrigued with Warren Marsh. Mm-hmm, yes. One of the unsung cats, as the book of the same name has stated very eloquently. How do you remember Warren? I know you were very close for many years and made music together. Well, we weren't really very close, but we did make some very close music together on occasion. And uh, I, I just know him as a really great, uh, pure player with a minimum of affectation and just uh, was able to play near perfect sometimes. And uh, as composers, as improvising composers, we're looking to play a perfect piece uh, as much as possible, but that's uh, uh, improbable. Uh, so uh, we think of jazz as an imperfect art mm. and uh, try for it, but uh, can settle for less. But yeah. he was one of the great ones, I think. Warren Marsh. Yeah, and there's, there was no real grandstanding to his personality or to his playing, so he didn't get the top uh, recognition, I think. Mm-hmm. But the people who know him know how great he was, including mm-hmm. Wayne Shorter and Joe Henderson. They were a little reluctant to talk about it so, so too much. there seems to be a kind of um, obsession with what's the next new thing going to be? Has jazz reached a kind of cul-de-sac stylistically? And I, I believe I saw you describe uh, uh, improvisation as a, as a miracle. Um, oh, yeah, I really... <laughs> I played a concert in London a few weeks ago, and I used that word after playing a duet with John Taylor. It just, uh, it's just amazing <coughs> that uh, it's possible to stand up there and compose together yet uh, or with a group my god it's a miracle a minor miracle maybe but feels like a major one to me mm-hmm. well over your career's uh, course have you i mean uh, obviously the art of improvisation has has sustained you and has inspired you and you have been one of the most gifted uh, uh, improvisers that we've known um, but during you know your formative years, uh, jazz was in uh, a state of uh, stylistic uh, change and sort of rapid development and everything, you know, every few years there seemed to be something uh, truly innovative being uh, introduced. Um, um, Oh, there's people doing different things all over the place. And now it's just more all-encompassing with the the, uh, Asian and Indian and all those kind of worldly uh, uh, influences. 
But throughout all of those changes, just to, uh, to sum up somehow, uh, my uh, role uh, was that I was so convinced at the at the beginning at the picture of the tr- so-called traditional music, and that that discipline was so demanding for me. I'm working on it every day, in some modest way. I'm not an eight-hour-a-day practicer; never have been. But every day I take out my horn and play and try to get a little better at uh, to controlling all the elements. And as I get older, some of them are a little harder to do, but uh, that's my daily workout, which uh, I love. And then having the uh, advantage of going out to play it for people, too, uh, it's just, it just makes it a very complete uh, uh, occupation, if you will. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> How has it been as an occupation overall? Is this like a dream life? or uh, It or, is, or? actually. Uh, except for the, the dangers and the traveling, uh, everything else uh, is just uh, uh, something that I look. I have more uh, activities set up for this year than I ever have had in one year, and uh, I look forward to all of it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Could you ever have imagined something like this for yourself, say, 60 years ago? No, not at all. Uh, although... Uh, uh, initially, uh, when I, after making the first records, I started to get a lot of response, and I thought that that was the way it was going to be, and after a few years, that stopped. Like the novelty was over, or, or whatever, I didn't put on enough of a show, or whatever it was, uh, that for many years, uh, it was pretty lean for me. I was uh, able to teach a little bit and uh, make ends meet, barely. But then in the later years, in the last 20 years or so, I've been able to continue to play and still uh, not, uh, you know, too much showbiz uh, involved. Uh, so it's always been a, a welcome uh, surprise to me that there was interest. And I attribute a lot of that to my making frequent recordings. Uh, people uh, have criticized me for that. But uh, when I go into a record store... In one city, I see some recordings, and when I go into another city store, I see other recordings. <clears throat> and I think it's a result of people hearing a record that they might come out to hear a concert when you come to town. Well, I would uh, second that, uh, and um, I know that uh, from having played your music and the music of countless other musicians on the radio for many years, uh, uh, it's always, um, I mean, it's the happiest experience that I know is to hear from a listener saying, who was that? Or, yeah, that's uh, great. That's a new sound, a new name. Tell yeah. me more about that person. Or, yeah, great. Um, well, we appreciate you doing that. Mm-hmm. I can speak for the, the group, I'm sure. Sure. Um, and now, during those lean years, uh, how did you sustain yourself? What kept your, uh, you know, your spirits up? Well, I was... Uh, figuring that I had to get better, so my daily routine was maybe uh, a little more intense to figure out uh, how to be able to get back uh, into the marketplace, as it were. But uh, if I never had the chance to to play professionally, I, that was my daily routine, trying to just enjoying uh, playing that music. Uh, and... Uh, uh, it was very little to do because I, I never learned another profession. I tried working days briefly, but that didn't work out too good. And I just had a few little gigs here and there and a few students. That was it for quite a long time. Mm. 
Now, that must have been a humbling experience where you had come on the scene and, and made your mark and, and had associations with uh, uh, Claude Thornhill and Kenton and, and Miles Davis. And, and I just uh, I wasn't uh, terribly uh, much a hustler. Uh, I, I've never really had a band, uh, 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 too much uh, traveling band of my own. I, I've taken maybe the easy way by just waiting until someone calls me and invites me to join them. So uh, that might be part of the reason I didn't have agents working for me or, or calling all the time trying to get work and things like that. Mm-hmm. So that was the result. Uh, I might have done it differently to do it over again, but that was it at the time. You have uh, uh, nonetheless over the years had a, an original and, and um, sort of uh, leader-like quality uh, in your work. I mean... Um, uh, you mentioned earlier being, um, you know, seeing yourself somewhat as a sideman or yeah, adaptable really. in a lot of different situations. But nonetheless, Lee Konitz is invariably the leader. Well, it, uh, you know, I'm standing in front of the rhythm section usually <laughs> and uh, maybe introducing the tunes or whatever. And I have uh, my voice, whatever that uh, is worth. You know? mm-hmm. So I uh, appreciate it and... Uh, I regret uh, not uh, having had the whatever uh, you need to get a band like Phil Woods was able to do and stay pretty much with a basic band all through the years. I appreciate that very much, but uh, that didn't seem to be my disposition. So, I'd like to ask you about one um, uh, last thing, which is the... Um uh, recordings that you made, uh, Bill Holman arrangements um, with Kenton in 54, and I think these were subsequent to the tour that you did with Charlie Parker, and um, I've just been listening to them recently with Bill Russo's passing uh, recently, um, have had occasion to pull these out. And <coughs> So do you remember this uh, session, and which Lover Man was, uh, and My Funny Valentine? Oh yeah, those were things written for Charlie Parker on that tour we did, and Charlie couldn't record them, so they asked me to record them. Hmm, really? They're beautiful. improvised music, and I love uh, great composed music also. Mm-hmm. So everybody's uh, got their thing. As long as they can bring people in and present good music, 
hell with it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Lee, for taking the time this afternoon, and well, look forward to you. seeing you uh, next Wednesday. You know, when Wednesday. someone uh, talks about an interview, I'm hoping we don't start with uh, what was your first instrument <laughs> and all of that. So I appreciate your interest very much. Oh, you're welcome, and I appreciate your music so much.